Saints of Central Vineyard. This week is a special week of remembrance in New Zealand. It commemorates the 140th anniversary of the invasion of Parihaka. So today's letter is a little different. It is co-written with the help of my wife Eliana, a secondary school history teacher, who has written part two of this three-part letter. We invite you to consider this remarkable story of the formation and later invasion of Parihaka. We hope and pray that it provides encouragement to be the people of wisdom and peace that Aotearoa desperately needs right now. Part 1. Riro Riro At the start of October, Eliana and I celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary. A decade married felt like a significant milestone. We celebrated as best as we could within the limitations of lockdown. On the morning of our anniversary, we decided to go on a family walk with our two kids. And while on our walk, we just happened to hear a rare songbird. It was a riroriro singing, also known as the grey warbler. We love birds, so we took notice. And as we listened for a few moments, Eliana remembered. I think the last time we heard a riroriro sing was on our anniversary last year. We recalled this memory of the little guest at our Airbnb up north the year before. I said to Eliana, the birds are rejoicing and praising God with us. It was a beautiful but significant moment that stuck with me. And when we got home, I had to learn more about the Rirorero. I learnt that the Rirorero song was a seasonal sign for Māori, a sign to start sowing and planting crops in spring. Māori have a whakatauki for those that didn't heed its call. E fia koe i te tangihanga o te Rirorero. Where were you when the Rirorero was singing? Didn't you work to get yourself food? It felt like a word for the season. The confusion, hopelessness and anxiety had and has been building within Tamaki Mukoro. We sensed that God was calling us to heed the Rirorero's call and to persevere in planting and sowing even in this season. For us personally, it was a reminder to not get complacent in our marriage or the faith. Ten years of marriage has not come easy. It has taken great determination, commitment and dedication to God and one another. Yes, there were the years of travel, kids and adventure, but there have also been years of mental health challenges, financial trials and times when it felt like God was not present. But looking back and celebrating, we can see His grace mercy and faithful presence. 
we are starting to taste the fruit of his faithfulness and unfailing love. Eliana and I needed to hear the Riruriru sing, but when I shared the story at our weekly prayer gathering the following Wednesday, there was a sense that this might actually be a word for our wider church community. So I bring this word for your consideration this week. As the pressures of an extended lockdown have compounded, the soils of our hearts are being exposed to deeper places. What will you sow in that deep soil this season? James reminds the church that peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Which brings us to today's reflection on a moment of history. This is precisely what the people of Parihaka did some 160 years ago, and their righteous legacy lives on bringing glory to God and inspiring peace on earth. Let's have a look now. Part 2. Parihaka Parihaka is a Māori pā in Taranaki, established in 1866 on land confiscated by the government under the 1863 Suppression of Rebellion Act because of conflict in the region. When founded, the village drew war-weary Māori from all over the country. There were people who had fought, lost their families, had their ancestral land taken by the Crown, and their villages, their close hapu of support, torn apart. The two leaders of Parihaka, Tohu Kākahi and Te Whitiorongomai, welcomed all who came, encouraged them to build houses with their own iwi, and to rebuild a community within which to thrive. The community was founded on both Māori and Christian principles, with the leaders making rules such as no weapons or alcohol being allowed, and their education system was to be based on tikanga Māori instead of the dominant British system. The two men, Māori prophets, led Parihaka because of their whakapapa, but also because of the wisdom and spiritual mana each man possessed. They were well loved, and while Te Whiti was the more public leader of the two because of his gift for rhetoric, together they made a team that lasted most of their lives. They carried the mantle for their people, and they knew they were bringing together people who bore great hurt and were considered enemies in their own land. Having been brought up in the scriptures, they were driven by their knowledge of God's love for his people, the Israelites, who were brought through the wilderness into the land that God had promised them. Tohu and Tefiti spoke of the same inheritance for Māori and prophesied two concepts over the people of Parihaka, Te Hayata, meaning New Dawn, and Te Tau Ariki, or a time of prominence. On the 18th of every month, everyone in Parihaka attended a hui. This was an open meeting, and invitations were regularly extended to local and government leaders to encourage discussion about the region and attempt unity. At these meetings, Te Whiti would deliver speeches to those who gathered. These speeches drew journalists who would print the speeches in various newspapers. Te Whiti told his people that they must become lovers of peace and that as God's people, they must be stout-hearted and patient. He would often quote the Bible and use biblical concepts as a framework by which they should all live in order to have life. In one such speech, he said, Do not think I am fighting against man, but rather against the devil and all wickedness, that he may be destroyed. Let us not use carnal weapons. Listen, do not let us seek that which is lost. Do not look back to what is left. Obey God and glorify him. 
Tohu and Tefiti were absolutely radical in their thinking. At this moment in world history, power was gained through violence and oppression. Mercy was a weakness, and the greater firepower you had directly equaled your dominance. Now, it's too easy for us to marvel at the leaders of great movements such as this and stop there. While these men are so deserving of our admiration and praise, for the purposes of today's reflection, I want us to stop and consider the men, women and children of Parihaka who each chose to nurture this culture of peace and hope through their own discipline. After the aforementioned 1863 law, any action that was deemed to be against the government or rebellious could be punished by the confiscation of land without compensation. The people of Parihaka knew this. They knew that the cost of defending their land was to lose that land. And they came to Parihaka knowing the raw and destructive truth of this threat that hung over their people. Now here's where things get really exciting, really phenomenal. From the establishment of Parihaka around 1866, and for the next 16 years, until the invasion in 1881 and even beyond, there was not one mistake made. Not one step out of line. The people of Parihaka gave local and government authorities not one reason to invade and confiscate their lands. But while the people of Parihaka practiced real, tangible and continuing peace, they did not do this by hiding away from the world. Aside from having an open-door policy for visitors, Parihaka was repeatedly challenged and provoked to respond by the authorities. And each of these events were met with the same patient, stout-hearted, non-violent resistance. Not one person acted out of hurt, hatred or anger. When, in 1879, the government began surveying the Waimate Plains south of Parihaka to divide the land for sale, the men of Parihaka calmly removed the surveying pegs, put up fences where roads were planned and ploughed the land, making the statement that the land was not settled. There were no Māori reserves and therefore it was not to be taken. Again, the legal system of our country was weaponised and the hastily passed new laws, the Māori Prisoners' Trials Act and the West Coast Settlement Act, allowed for the arrest and imprisonment of Māori without trial. Over 400 of Parihaka's men were arrested under this new law and sent to the far south to do back-breaking work such as road and tunnel building. Within these prisoners, there was no resistance no violence, and back home in Parihaka, the campaign continued. In 1881, Native Land Minister John Bryce, with the support of local settlers who wanted access to land, and the government decided that they had had enough of Parihaka. Claiming that Tafiti's speeches were encouraging rebellion, 1,600 armed constabulary and volunteer militia camped outside Parihaka, readying themselves to invade. On the 5th of November 1881, the day of invasion dawned. Tohu and Tefiti sent out women with the children of Parihaka, nicknamed Tatarakihi, cicadas because of their constant noise, from Parihaka's bakery with fresh bread and songs for the gathered troops. When the troops entered the settlement later in the day, all its inhabitants were seated, silently waiting. 
even after Tohu and Tefiti were arrested and those not from the Taranaki region were told to leave, they were peaceful. And as the invasion turned violent and destructive, large portions of the village and farmland were systematically destroyed and women were raped. The full force of colonial arrogance and entitlement fell upon this community who, under the law, were innocent. Though Bryce had put a huge amount of effort into imposing a media blackout of these events, there were journalists who hid and watched the events play out. One journalist, Samuel Comby Brown of the Star newspaper, summarised the events he witnessed. The whole spectacle was saddening in the extreme. It was an industrious, law-abiding, moral and hospitable community calmly awaiting the approach of the men sent to rob them of everything dear to them. The painful memories of the invasion of Parihaka were kept alive by the descendants, some of whom still live in the village today. But for the majority of New Zealanders, they engaged in the story only through small, inoffensive paragraphs of school history books, unelaborated upon because of the uncomfortable truth they held. In 1975, historian Dick Scott took the existing narrative and living history of the people of Parihaka and reminded people of these events in his book, Ask That Mountain, The Story of Parihaka. The public consciousness of this brutal event has steadily grown since then, and in 2019, Te Turi Hayata Ki Parihaka, or the Parihaka Reconciliation Act, was passed in Parliament, where acknowledgement and apology was formally given for the unconscionable actions at Parihaka in order to heal the relationship between Parihaka and the Crown. Part 3 Wisdom and the Way of Peace Central Vineyard Fano, there is so much to learn from this moment, but I sense that the wisdom and spiritual mana displayed by the people of Parihaka and their commitment to walk the way of peace is exactly what is needed for us to navigate the days ahead. 140 years after Te Rao Te Pahua, or the Day of Plunder, the deeds and actions of the people of Parihaka are proved to us to be righteous and full of wisdom. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. They have shown us wisdom and understanding and have embodied the gospel of peace. They displayed that wisdom from above which is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. James 3.17 As the people of God in Christ Jesus, we too have access to this wisdom from above. James says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. James 1.5 Now is the time to claim this promise and to pray it over one another. I was so encouraged at this week's Wednesday prayer meeting where these same verses from James were being prayed over our community. May we continue to be a people who seek and embody God's wisdom in this season. Further, the people of Parihaka put into practice Jesus' teaching from Matthew 5. They actually did it. They rejoice in the face of persecution, 
they turn the other cheek, they walk the second mile, and they love their enemy. They walked in the way of Jesus. I have been considering a neglected prophecy in the Gospel of Luke. Just before the birth of Jesus, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, prophesied that Jesus would guide our feet into the way of peace. Luke 1, 79. This is our promise to walk in today. Jesus himself walked down this way of peace and has made peace between humanity and God and has called us as his followers to follow in his footsteps. This promise assures us of his guidance and wisdom that will guide our feet on this gritty, steep and often dangerous way of peacemaking. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is not an optional for us. The Apostle Paul wrote that those who are in Christ, who are led by the Spirit, are the children of God. It is part of our calling to engage in this raw work of peacemaking. This means an active commitment and engagement within our families, work, church, and civic responsibilities. What does it mean to be the people of wisdom and peace in a pandemic? What would social media look like if it was full of mercy? Imagine embodying God's gentleness in that heated moment. What would it take to have wise ears that listened with impartiality and openness to differing opinions? How do we show grace and mercy within our families that are dividing over opinions? How do we bring the gospel of peace to an increasingly hostile moment in this land? May you heed the Rirorirus call this season and sow in peace so that we, like the people of Parihaka, might be known for our good deeds done in the gentleness of wisdom. Let's finish by considering a proclamation that was made from heaven at Jesus' birth. An angel joined by a multitude of heavenly hosts Proclaim to the shepherds, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Luke 2.14 May you glorify God by living his peace on earth. Te has tu, te pedí.